Welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register and upload your resume to our iRelaunch job board. Employers looking to hire relaunchers regularly peruse our job board for candidates for their career reentry jobs and programs. Now on to our conversation. Today, we welcome Chef Steve Konopelski, an Auguste Escoffier School of Culinary Arts chef instructor. A Broadway dancer turned pastry chef, we will speak with Steve about the evolution of his career, how he navigated a number of transitions, and the transferable skills he carried with him. He's been on the Food Network, has won numerous awards for his work, and is building a successful business around his culinary prowess. Steve, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. And to everybody that's currently listening right now, um, thank you as well for joining us. I'm very excited to be here. Wow. It's really exciting to have this conversation and start the conversation. Can you start by telling us about your career as a dancer? Sure. Um, I, I shan't bore you with the laundry list of things as if it were, you know, quoting my resume again. But ultimately, the Reader's Digest version of this story is I am a farm boy from the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, Canada, who through a crazy twist and turn of events ended up at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. I was, you know, professional ballet dancer in conservatory. Um, not necessarily 100% happy with the ballet world and kind of wanted to spread my wings a little bit more and branched off into musical theater, which yada, 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 eventually got me to New <laughs> York City, um, where I had a wonderful uh, about 10 year career new as a New York based dancer, actor, singer, doing everything from, you know, the doldrum, uh, you know, uh, cruise ship shows mm. to, um, you know, uh, the three Broadway shows that I was able to do. And um, finally, that sort of thought process of about retirement, uh, you know, kind of came into my head. So that was a huge up until that point was basically my entire life. I started dancing when I was seven. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I want to ask you about that. So was there a moment when you thought, I need to, it's, it's time for me to move on to doing something else. Did it happen gradually? How did you know it was time and uh, to step away from your dancing career? And then how did you think about pivoting interests into something else? So I retired from performing in 2011, but as early as 2006, I already started thinking about and realizing that I couldn't be a, you know, young actor, dancer, singer forever. It just wasn't going to happen. And I think my body was starting to experience a little bit of fatigue, you know, because I had been doing this for so long. And I just started to look at my path moving forward. Um, one of the things that 
I didn't really care for with performing is there's no stability in your job. You know, when you have the job, you only have the job for as long as the short contract is or until the show closes. So you're always looking for the next thing while you have the thing. And sometimes you're looking two and three down the road. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of getting, you know, worn out by that Broadway machine and started kind of looking at stuff Around 2006, if we kind of, you know, look at the history of television and food, that was the real sort of birth and boom of Food Network, Celebrity Chef, that type of stuff. So, of course, the actor in me is kind of going, oh, look at this whole new medium of food as entertainment. I can kind of still live in that world, but maybe be somewhere else. And... By the time 2011 started to roll around, performing wasn't fun for me anymore. I didn't look forward to the curtain going up. I started to look forward to the curtain coming down. And that really, for me, was the final indicator. It's time. Your heart isn't in it anymore. Let the new generation, the ones getting off the bus at 18 years old, just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with $100 in their pocket, knowing they're going to make it, which is exactly what I did when I moved to New York. Let that generation have their time now. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had had a very good career, so it was a little bit easier to kind of say, I've done so much of the stuff that I set out to do, so I'm okay with allowing myself to have a new dream now. Mm, I love how you put that. You know, what's so interesting to me uh, is when you're talking about, you see this emergence of the Food Network and this idea of looking at food as entertainment and the performance element of it. I, I don't know if most people would think about it in those terms, but you grasp that right away. So was that influential in terms of like had you always had a passion for food um and now was putting it all together or was this a whole new world for you um it actually was a little bit of both you know performing is performing no matter kind of you know where you are and i think Mm -hmm. the transition say from like classical ballet to musical theater was relatively easy because so many of the same skills right and that's what we talk about a lot is those skills that transfer easily from one to the other I was very fortunate as a farm kid to kind of grow up in this atmosphere where we made everything from scratch all of the time. You know, mm-hmm. we had a massive mm-hmm. garden. My Both my parents, my father and my mother baked. Um, you know, my mother made our, made our clothes. <laughs> like it was that type of, inv- it was so little house on the prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so when I was thinking about wanting to do something else, you also think about, well, what are the other things that I love? But what is also comforting? And that was something that was so comforting to me is getting in the kitchen, making my own stuff. And I'm like, this is a place that I love to be. So can I take the talents that I have, the training that I have, the things that I've worked so hard for, can I put that into a different aspect? And can I do something else that I enjoy doing so it's not going to be laborium for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Well, I, the way you're laying that out is really um, instructive. Uh, you're, you're giving people tips for how to consider a career change. So you you found this place pretty 
quickly that you knew was your comfort zone. And maybe I'm guessing because of how you're describing your roots on a farm, that was that was sort of always a theme. Uh, So let's just let's jump forward to the next step. You you've thought about this and was the natural progression. I need to go to like a culinary arts school and become a chef. Or were you thinking there are all different ways to get into this this field and you were looking at a bunch of them? There are a lot of ways to get into this field, but let's kind of look at my education. As a dancer, the biggest thing that I was taught is the importance of fundamental technique. Hmm. I also, from an actor standpoint, sort of knew there is a big aspect in who do you know, right? Pedigree, having the right names behind you is what can get you in the door. Hmm. And then technique is what's going to keep you there. So as I was looking around, I just knew school is where I have to go because I need to learn technique. If I want to have a big, successful career in this new industry, I have to be technique-based because that's what provided me success as a performer is I was technique based. I, you know, wasn't somebody that kind of took a couple dance classes and then they said, Oh, you're handsome. So go to Broadway. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I was a kid who worked for 10 years just in, you know, dance school in conservatory. So as I looked at culinary schools in the area in New York, that is what really um, focused my decision And ultimately, I ended up going to the French Culinary Institute because in my research, I felt it had the best technical instruction, but it also had the best pedigree. French Culinary Institute, that was a name that was synonymous with, you know, education, excellence, perfection. So I knew if I had that on my resume, that would open a bunch of doors for me. And then if what I could do backed that up, as we said, I would stay in the door. So there's this branding aspect to it, that the reputation of the place itself, and then also the quality of the educational experience, and then the network that it provides in terms of, so there, there are, are a few aspects there of uh, the idea of going to the French Culinary Institute. Um, I really love what you're saying about pedigree getting you in the door and then the technique keeping you there. One of the things that we talk about with relaunchers in general is that you have to become a subject matter expert all over again. So whether you're returning to a old your old field after a long career break or you're transitioning into something new, and essentially that's what you're saying here. When you have to be technique-based, you are immersing and you are have that subject matter expertise in this case, the performance piece, the and, and also the chef, the culinary skills. Yes, exactly. I totally agree with that. You have to be able to sort of cash the check that you're writing, right? You know, it's one thing to, you know, to put on airs, I'm this, that, whatever. And people can see through that very, very quickly, you know. You can toot your own horn as much as possible, but we see through that. And that's what people want in any type of industry that you're entering. People want the people that have the skills and can show the promise to learn and grow, you know, kind of within that aspect. We're not really expecting, you know, new career, um, people entering a new career to know everything all at once. 
but we're expecting them to have a good foundation that can be built upon, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you give us a little bit of a timeline, Steve, uh, from when you retired from the ballet world to when you started your culinary training? Yeah. So uh, my last performance was September 2001. And I started culinary school December 27th, 2001. So I had a very, very short window, but I had already enrolled in pastry school uh, in April of 2001. So I knew that I was going, I knew that I was retiring. You know, my last show was not kind of one of those things where I look back in hindsight going, oh, this is my last show. I went into it fully knowing this is the last time I'm going to be on the stage. I'm going to enjoy every moment of this. My final bow was very much, you know, this sort of mixture of joy and fear uh, and a little bit of sorrow because, you know, I was, I was closing not only a chapter in my life, but up until this point, I was closing what was the book of my life. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, you mentioned that you were, you had already gone to pastry school or you had started to take some classes. What was that piece of it? And um, if you can also give us a little bit of a window into what do you do when you're in culinary school? And is it like nine to five or like, or not like what actually happens when you're there? So uh, to clarify a little bit, I had been researching um, schools and I had enrolled in a school, but I didn't actually start any of my classes until the end of December. So in April, I had right. you know signed the papers, I had written the check, <laughs> you know, all of that kind of right. stuff. The but it was like, we're starting in winter term uh, kind of situation. I see. Pastry school is, uh, we had a couple of different options. You could go nine to five, Monday through Friday and be done in six months. Or for a, for a, a discounted $15,000, yeah. you could go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, four hours each day, and then it would take you nine and a half months to finish the program. And since I was, you know, paying for this out of my own pocket and, you know, taking out as bazillion loans as I could find, um, I was like, well, we'll go the cheaper route. So uh, I did, you know, uh, part-time, essentially, uh, evenings, three days a week for nine months. And then what were you doing the rest of the time? Were you um, doing anything job search or work related? Or were you taking a break because you had worked so hard for so long? What, what was your day to day life like during that time? For my first couple of months at pastry school, I kind of didn't really do anything else. Um, my school was a little bit different from a lot of culinary schools that are still in existence, which was there was no externship required as part of your training. The 600 hours was all spent in actual class. You weren't at the mercy of some other chef for, you know, a third of your education and potentially not, you know, being shown many things. And I deliberately chose the program because I was like, I want every second of my classroom hours to be in the classroom with my chef. But our school encouraged internships and 
would arrange them for you kind of pretty much wherever you wanted to go. That's how much clout that the FCI had is we could walk into student affairs and say, hey, I want to intern at whatever. A friend of mine, she went in and she was like, I would really like to intern at per se. And two days later, she had an internship. Um, I uh, interned at um, a great little restaurant in in Manhattan called um, Saxon and Parole. Mm-hmm. And after being an intern there for about maybe three weeks, three three weeks, perhaps a month, they're like, hey, we're going to pay you now. And I was like, great. So all of a sudden, I'm working in a restaurant. I'm still a student. I'm kind of like just getting fully immersed in this world. Well, that sounds super interesting because the internship is almost like you're you're dabbling it like almost like as a volunteer, but in a, in a very relevant area. And then you have the part-time work that you're doing. So again, you are in the classroom, but you're also applying what you learned um, in an actual restaurant. So a lot of great experience when you take all of that together. So when you graduated from the program, did you stay at that restaurant in a bigger role or did you move on to something else? I actually uh, left that job about a month before graduation. Our our graduation had a we had a very very intense sort of final project. Had to build basically like a sugar showpiece that then also supported a cake and had all of these things. And I knew that it was going to be a lot of work. So I kind of said to my chef, you know, I've been here about six months. I'm graduating from culinary school soon, and I just really want to be able to focus my last sort of month there and and he understood and it actually ended up that he was going to be leaving that restaurant as well so it was kind of just you know one of those things the 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 industry uh at least at that time and was one of the things that was taught to us in culinary school is jump around Mm -hmm. you know six months here six months there maybe a year here learn from as many people as you can before you finally find what your lane is going to be dabble in all of the things because you can't really just walk out of culinary school and say all right restaurants that's me i'm gonna live here for the rest of my life there's so you know it's basically sample from the buffet Mm -hmm. as it were until you find where you feel that you fit so um when culinary school was finished and I graduated, then I, you know, got a job at a hotel because I wanted to experience batch cooking. You know, there's a real difference in creating a cake for nine people and making a cake for 9,000 people. Wow. That is totally different set of skills. And I I wanted to experience that. And then after I did that, I kind of was like, hmm, you know, I, I, I want to be in something else. I want to, I, I was gravitating towards more fine dining experience and I called up alumni at the school and I was like, hey, what do, what's, and they're like, oh, James Beard award-winning pastry chef Claudia Fleming, name drop, mm-hmm. is currently looking for an assistant. We can make an arrangement for you. We'll, we'll arrange a, uh, an interview. And the next day they called me back. They're like, so you have your interview at this day, you know, go out and meet with her and see what happens. And I ended up working for Claudia for a whole year and loved every second of it. Mm-hmm. And there's that network again. Um, the alumni network from the French Culinary Institute was the ticket, in a sense, to having that kind of connection. 
So really interesting. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the entrepreneurial side of this and when you decided to start your own business and how did that evolve over time? In my head, you know, first seeing this food as entertainment kind of thing, I think somewhere always deep down in the vessels of my soul was this, you're going to be your own boss or have your own thing or this, that, and whatever. And uh, while I was working for Claudia, the restaurant was also a little bit of an inn, um, which kind mm -hmm. of naturally kind of led into this, oh, well, B&B is sort of this type of world. And it ended up that my, um, my husband and I moved away from New York down to Maryland to be closer to his family. And we bought a 150-year-old Victorian house. And we're like, let's do a and b and all that. It was not under the Tuscan sun. Yeah. It definitely was a lot more work than that. So anyone who has these visions of grandeur about B&B &B life, it is a, a lot more challenging than um, it, it, it appears on the surface. But we basically just kind of set this goal for ourselves. We want to, we want to create a great atmosphere for people. And we want to allow our business model to evolve. And that was part of our plan is we can't plan. Mm -hmm. We can have a bit of a direction, but we need to be open to whatever might also come our way. The, the local people might want something else. And that's kind of the way our business was always run. If there's a need, let's try this. If it's not working, we'll stop, reset, do something else. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to sort of my dance training and the way I started my whole life in, let's try to do it this way. That's where the technique comes into play. Now let's experiment a little bit because once we sort of understand this, we can manipulate and change. You know, dance is very much like, where does the music take me? How do I feel this? I will allow the movement to evolve a little bit because of how I'm feeling or what's going on in the moment. That's very much acting. It's all of those things. So I mm -hmm. think that just felt a natural way to run the business as well. If we see a need over here, well, let's do that. Let's try this. You know, we started with the B and B quickly became let's offer brunches for the local people so that they can come in and and eat because they didn't want us pay to stay the night but they still wanted the food which naturally led to participating in the farmers market and the farmers market we would sell out so fast we're like well why are we packing up everything and going to the park let's just open the front doors of the B&B &B every Saturday morning and have a little thing here right. and that evolved and eventually we were able to open a standalone bakery and it just kind of kept on going. It just, it, it, it we rode the wave. Um, and if it didn't work, then try something else. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no failure in trying. Right. Well, so many lessons here. Um, just this ultimate sort of the quote growth mindset, the agility the, um, in terms of your approach to how you were, always trying things and, and seeing what was working, what was not working. Uh, super interesting. How long of a time period was that? The bed and breakfast was opened in 2015. Uh, we bought the house in 2014. 
and our bakery opened in 2019. The bakery was so successful that we actually ended up closing the B&B because mm. just the energy that was involved in running the bakery. And then the pandemic killed us as it did, you know, so, so many. So we were sort of casualties mm -hmm. <laughs> of that as so many were. But... I don't believe in coincidence. Coincidence is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm -hmm. And around the time that we kind of could see the writing on the wall that there wasn't much of an end in sight to COVID in 2020 is when I found the job posting for the teacher um, with Escoffier. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Let me let me interview here and see what happens. And as part of my interview with the school, they were sort of like, you have this business. If you got the job, what would you do? And I was like, I would close the business, mm -hmm. you know, so that I can dedicate myself fully to this. And when the offer came, that was just that, you know, when one door closes, a window is opened somewhere and we just pivoted and evolved and said, okay, you know, that everything is lining up to, to where it should. And I now work for a school that also is that same sort of principle of the importance of technique, but we also have a really great name. You know, Auguste Escoffier is like the, the god of, you know, the modern kitchen. Mm. So I've kind of found myself back in this same type of world where it's so important to educate yourself with that, those base fundamentals so that you can kind of, you know, let the world be your oyster or cake as it were. <laughs> That's funny. You can have your cake and eat it too, <laughs> everybody. You can. Um, Steve, can, can you briefly tell us what you do as an instructor? Who are the students? Um, what's your approach? Does someone have to have a certain amount of experience in the kitchen before they can even take the class? Tell us a little bit about the school itself and your, how you teach in it. So the Escoffia School of Culinary Arts is actually a little bit groundbreaking in some ways. We have two in-person um, ground campuses, one in Boulder and one in Austin. But we also have an online program. And that's a little bit sort of, you know, Ooh, how do we do cooking school online? And on the surface, it kind of seems a little bit like, how does this work? We have the advantage of being able to essentially reach everyone. Mm -hmm. So this is not a situation of elitism or we have to live in this certain vicinity or I have to pack it up and move my whole life to wherever in order to be able to attend this. So we have access to you know pretty much anyone and everyone it feels a very it feels a little you know lady liberty give me your tired huddled masses um and we have a lot of students that are coming from every walk of life we have career changers we have fresh out of high school that are kind of like i'm not really sure and here's an opportunity for you know uh quote unquote tech school without having to actually be in a physical building we have um, you know, a home baker that just wants to hone their skills, not really looking to enter the, the, the professional world per se, but they want to be better at what they're doing. They want an, an empowerment. Um, and then we have, um, 
people that have been in the industry. Maybe they've only been in the culinary side of things and pastry is a little bit new to them or vice versa. So we kind of have the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, mm -hmm. really. And the way the program works is we have videos that have been filmed in professional kitchens that illustrate the technique that our students watch. They will meet in a sort of a online Zoom format with the chef instructor where we elaborate on a lot of the technical requirements for each week. They create their work. There's a series of photo documentation that needs to happen. And then I assess that um, and based on what my technical knowledge already is, I can pinpoint very, very quickly. Okay, our meringue is not, you know, at stiff peaks. Um, I can tell you didn't sift your flour. I can tell that this is overbaked based on all of the visual cues that I've spent my career learning and recognizing. So the the format is slightly different. It's a little, you know, but the the base technique and skills and fundamentals are there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience on the Food Network? <laughs> yes. Um, so that was, again, one of those, you know, preparation meets opportunity kind of thing. And it was the January of 2015. So, of course, you know, our B&B &B hadn't even opened yet. We weren't even in renovations yet. And I saw a posting in social media. It was very vague. It was like looking for pastry chefs for a television show. That was it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, the actor in me. Oh, this is my chance. This is my break. Um, so I, you know, submitted my resume and I think probably a, a, tr a tragic chef headshot or whatever. And a couple months later, I saw the same post, but this time it had more information. It was, you know, the Food Network specifically looking for, you know, either trained pastry chefs or home bakers, da 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 da. So I submitted again. Mm -hmm. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> and um, about maybe about a month later, I got a phone call from uh, a casting director. And then they were like, hey, you know, this is interesting. We'd like to chat with you more. Can you please make a little five minute video just so we can see your personality? And I'm like, oh, personality. Well, I have some of that. Um, and uh, show us some pictures of the things you've done. And then it became like a month long process of telephone interview, video interview, send us another thing, this, that, and whatever. And after about the second round of this, I, I kind of said to my husband, I'm like, I've I've got this in the bag. I know how casting works. You know, we don't invest this much time in you if we're not interested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just kind of going back into what I sort of knew. And then when they said, you know, you've booked the gig and I was like, great. And um, flew out to Los Angeles. Uh, for anyone who currently has Hulu or Discovery Plus, this is Holiday Baking Championship Season 2. Oh. Uh, so binge great. watch it, everybody. It's great. Um, I won't spoil it for you. Well, I'll probably okay. will, but, <laughs> um, day one of being there, you know, and meeting all of the other, uh, contestants and whatnot, I quickly began to realize that this is not a baking competition. This is a television show. Mm. And, um, it was not a foreign place for me. Mm -hmm. I, I was used to cameras being around. Um, I was kind of used to that, you know, being on kind of thing. Uh, I, as I looked around and saw everybody else, I was like, oh, 
this is typecasting. You're you're the old person. You're the ingenue. You're the you know we need we've, you're ethnic. I'm the gay one. Got it. Okay. I I know where my role is in this, and I just sort of knew you have to you have to bake well because that's kind of the premise of this thing. But you also have to be entertaining and you have to be engaging. And as long as you make good television and don't burn the place to the ground, mm-hmm. you'll probably do quite well. Interesting. Wow. All right. Well, I I made a note. Um, you said it was Holiday Baking. Holiday, Holiday Baking Championship Season 2. Okay. And then right. you will also see me in, um, there is a couple other um, single episode appearances that I did all through the Holiday Baking Championship series. There is Sweet Revenge and Runner Up Redemption. Uh-oh. I think I spoiled what happened in season two by saying I was in runner-up redemption. I wasn't listening to that part. It wasn't spoiler for me. And then I also um, was uh, season one of Haunted Gingerbread Showdown. So I had had four opportunities to sort of uh, be graced with the Food Network. P.S. If anyone from Food Network is currently listening, my cell phone number is still the same. (laughs) You may call me. I'm happy to come back. Would love to do it again. Had a great time. Just say it. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll try to make sure that they hear that. Um, All right. So, Steve, we need to wrap up now. But before I ask you this last question that we ask all of our podcast guests, just a technical question. So you're talking about the different, there's the culinary part and the the pastry part. So pastry itself is its own specialty um, within the culinary world. And are there subspecialties, like people who are really good at certain types of pastries or desserts, or how does that work? Well, the pastry umbrella kind of covers breads, confiserie, which is candy, chocolatier work, ice cream, gelato, decorated cakes, bakery life. All of that is kind of under the umbrella of like a pastry chef sort of program. But there is sort of a moment where you kind of do want to specialize. Like chocolatiers really focus in that world. And yes, they can they can still bake and they can do all that. That was part of their education. But they've really honed their skills in the chocolate world, mm. which is kind of its own animal. So there's definitely sort of a subspecies, as it were, within uh, you know the um, the pastry umbrella. The same thing is kind of true on on, on you know the culinary side of thing. Even just something as like you're going to focus really in more like a uh, you know like barbecue and 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 that type of world. Um, you're going to focus in um, molecular g- gastronomy. That's kind of you know it's its own sort of little subspecies. Vegan cooking is is the same technique, but it's obviously a very uh, focused base than, um, you know, kind of the, you know, your, your run of the mill kind of thing. And when I was in pastry school, we were sort of encouraged at some point during this program, find where you think you might want to land because a bakery life is very different from the restaurant life mm-hmm. is very different from, you know, the couture wedding cake type of world. Right. So at some point you have to specialize. If you try to, here's a great quote, everybody. If you try to master everything, you'll be good at nothing. Mm-hmm. You really need to find your lane and then just give it your 100%. And don't worry what the people on the either side of you are doing because mm-hmm. that's their lane. You don't need to be in their lane. You're in your lane. And if your lane shifts, 
then follow the road. If you come to a fork in it, you have to make a decision. But that's your lane. Live in your lane and just own it. That sounds like the answer to what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if we've already talked about it today. But I still want to ask you that question in case you have anything else to add. I do. Um, I want to share this quick story about my first day of culinary school. I was petrified because I was in a whole new world and I felt like I didn't know who I was. I had no identity because I had closed up my performing life and I really wanted to focus wholeheartedly in this chef thing. And the first day we're standing there, we're all in our, our brand new clean white chef coat and I was having second thoughts and I'm going, did I do the right thing? And feeling very, very afraid. Mm -hmm. And it so happened that the chef that was uh, doing our um, onboarding that day was Sh Chef Tony. And I never had Chef Tony again the rest of the time that I was at culinary school. But Chef Tony had been a dancer with Alvin Ailey. And so she told us that in her introduction. And when the class was over, I went up to her and I was like, Chef Tony, I'm a conservatory kid. I'm a Broadway kid. I really feel very lost here. And I don't know how to start this new journey. Can you please give me a little bit of advice? How was this for you? Mm -hmm. And she just stopped and she said, you will be excellent in this industry. And here is why. As a dancer, you understand the importance of repetition, muscle memory, technique. You understand the importance of spatial awareness. You understand the importance of seeing what needs to be done and replicating that. You understand the importance of having somebody uh, above you. You understand the importance of keeping your eye and ear on that person who is in charge at all times. That's everything you learned as a dancer, and that's everything you need as a is in the kitchen. You have not lost anything. You have just turned the kitchen into the studio that you know. It's the same. It's the same skills. It's just the decor has changed. And as soon as she said that, yeah, it became very easy. And that's my biggest piece of advice to any you know relauncher. You're not starting over again. You have X number of years of dedicated, hard work, professional experience, life experience that you are bringing to this new chapter. So don't think of it as something new. It's just the decor changed. Mm -hmm. You're bringing everything you know. The decor just changed. That's mm -hmm. it. That is fantastic advice. And also, I just love the way you're talking about what those transferable skills are. It's not like a resume builder kind of thing. It, it, there are certain elements of your prior experience that were endemic to the actual doing of it. That sounds like it, they're, they're so applicable. And more than likely, that's the reason you're in the new place that you are, mm -hmm. is because the skills that you have, have, and that's your path. It's just kind of led you to this place. That's why the new people want you. They want you because you've got 25 years of professional life experience. You know, they want that. And, you know, it's just the decor changed. Powerful. Well, Steve, um, before we sign off, can you tell us, um, tell our listeners how we can all find out more about your work and the Auguste Escoffier Culinary Arts School? Is there a website? Is there something that they should be um, looking at? 
absolutely find and follow Escoffier on all of your social media platforms, TikTok, Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, Carrier Pigeon, whatever. Um, and you can learn about the school at escoffier.edu, E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot E-D-U. And that is our school's website that includes all information on the online program and the ground campus programs as well. We have a culinary program, a pastry program. We actually have a plant-based program now, and we have a holistic program also. So, you know, the world is your oyster, unless, of course, you're plant-based. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. This has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so very much for having me. Uh, it was been a, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, maybe we do this again. Who knows? All right. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. And once again, I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register and upload your resume to our iRelaunch job board because that's where employers who are looking to hire relaunchers are regularly perusing to find candidates for their career reentry jobs and programs. Be sure to visit iRelaunch.com to access our many return to work tools and resources and to sign up for our mailing list so you can receive our weekly return to work report featuring career reentry jobs and programs. Thanks for joining us.